Amen. Let's have just one prayer. Our Father, we turn now to look at the sweet rose of Sharon as he appeared as a stranger to two despondent and broken-hearted disciples. Some of us, we look toward the future, Father, are full of fear. And yet we thank you that because Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow. And so we pray that you will bless us now as we seek to learn from this experience the lesson you want us to know this Easter day so that the Easter fact will be a part of all our living for his name's sake. Amen. Among the most beautiful of all of the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus is this which is recorded in the 24th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. The great poet of England, William Cooper, or William Cowper, has written some of his most exquisite poetry about this particular episode here. Rembrandt, one of the all-time greatest of the artists, has made his supper at Emmaus the theme of a spiritual experience that happened to him that caused his own life to intensify into such devotion to Christ that when he died in abject poverty amongst his possessions, he had simply one of his own paintings which he worked toward and his copy of the Bible and his deep faith in a living Lord. Into music, in our hymns, one of the evening hymns which is sung all over the world. I'll never forget the thrill of being once in the northern part of India, going into a congregation of Methodist Christians and hearing them at an evening service, singing words in English that spoke immediately to my heart, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. Those words were inspired by Henry F. Late's reading of this account of Christ on the road to Emmaus. And because our time is limited and we've had many things in the service today, I want to try to make four little Sunday school type points with you. They're easy to remember. That first, these two disciples had sad hearts. Why were their hearts sad? They are called disciples. They were not of the twelve. They were not of the apostles. But they might have been of the seventy. We know that they had been up to the festival of the Passover. And last Sunday we celebrated Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry of Jesus into the city of Jerusalem, where there would have been about 
two million people that would have gathered for that auspicious occasion. The Jews were not abstract in their devotion to God. They were concrete. And into our Christian symbolism there come concrete things such as water when a child of the covenant is baptized, such as the bread and the wine of communion that's symbolized by things that you can see and touch. The reality of what God does and has done in history. And in history, the Passover is that tremendous event. And all over the world, Jews in Cape Town, Jews in New York, Jews in Miami, Jews wherever they are, even to this day when they sell Passover, will speak those words, this time in Miami, next year in Jerusalem. There is the hope that they had of Messiah coming, that they still have to this day, many of those who are Orthodox. But we know that Messiah has come. And that the Passover, which is a concrete event which these two million worshipers would have gone up to celebrate, and which would have caused Jesus and his disciples to be there, that there was some misunderstanding they had expected God to do something that he did not do. They had expected Jesus to do something that he didn't do. They wanted to be delivered from the bondage of Rome. And so they took their palm branches and thought perhaps another Judas Maccabeus had come. Perhaps a great prophet who would deliver them. And they did, save us, sir, Hosanna, meaning save us, sir, save us, Lord. But instead of all of this, he was reviled and spat upon and mocked and nailed to a cross. And so their hearts were sad. Their prayers had not been answered the way they had hoped that they would be. And all of the terrible events of that week must have still been in their mind as they made their way home. They thought of what a horrible disaster, what a total wreck of their hopes, and how fierce and grim and disillusioning their experience had been. All they could think of was that crown of thorns that had been pushed upon his brow. The jeering, hooting rabble that had screamed at Jesus. The ignominy and the defeat of it all. And then that poor, pathetic, broken body being taken down from the cross and away to a tomb. Their hopes were shattered. Have you ever prayed to Jesus, really called out to him in earnest prayer, and he did not answer it the way you wanted it answered? I prayed with someone before surgery about five o'clock on Friday afternoon that something would not be cancer, and it was cancer. 
It wasn't answered the way that I wanted it answered. But that person is a Christian, and I am a Christian, and I am willing to submit to God and to let him do his work. I will not be disillusioned. Even though I am sad, I know that he has his purposes and he them out for his glory and for the good of those who love and serve him. These people, these two disciples, were sad. Their disappointment was great. And why were they sad? You know, Luke, in the very beginning of his excellent record of the gospel of Jesus Christ, tells us that he sought out eyewitnesses. And I think he must have gone to Cleophas himself and said, Tell me, Cleophas, what happened that day on that road to Emmaus that so moved you that you went back to those people in Jerusalem and reported to the apostles all that you had seen? And I've often imagined that Cleopas said, Luke, I want you to come with me. I'll take you out on the road, and I'll take you to the very spot. I'll never forget it. I can still remember how sad we were and how we were scarcely civil to this stranger who came up behind us, how we were wildly gesticulating and talking and were broken, and when he spoke to us, we scarcely noticed him. And then he asked us, Why are you so sad? And they said, Are you the only stranger, the only visitor in Jerusalem who has not known the things which have come to pass in these days? Are you the only tourist? Are you the only worshiper who does not know what happened on Friday? Can you imagine asking Jesus that question? Where were you last Friday? Where were you when Calvary took place? But look how he deals with them. He speaks to them, oh foolish and slow of heart. Their hearts were sad, their hearts were slow. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Didn't Isaiah 53 tell you that Messiah would be wounded for your transgressions? Didn't you know that he would suffer? He must have begun at this point and began to teach them the scriptures in such a remarkable way. For it tells us here that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I think the very best name that I've ever heard of for a Bible school, and I've never been there, don't even know anyone who went there, is Emmaus Bible Institute. I saw that someplace on a on a bulletin. Think of it, Emmaus Bible Institute. Well, here was an Emmaus experience in which Christ himself is the teacher, and he explains all Moses and all that the prophets and all that the Psalms have said concerning himself. Their hearts were sad, 
and their hearts were slow, but now they are beginning to sense something different. We were told that their eyes were holden, that they should not know him. That is, they could not see nor understand who he was and what he was doing. What about your own experience with Jesus? Do you really know who he is? And what will it be in this coming year if some tragedy strikes you that's unreasonable and unexplainable and seems so utterly undeserved and your hopes are shattered? What will you expect about him? Will you be able to see him and to know that he is your Savior? He is your Master. He is your Lord. He is good and his purposes for you are kind no matter what takes place. We need to quit trying to make God be like we want him to be and let God be God. I wrote a strange little thing in my Bible at this point. You know what it says? A cat looks at a queen but does not see a queen. Think about that. A cat looks at a queen but does not see a queen. There are people who look at Jesus, but they do not see the Son of God. And they do not see in his purposes the power of God and the forgiveness of God and the saving grace of God. Their sad hearts and slow hearts are now becoming seeing hearts. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They recognized him in the breaking of the bread. It's often been thought that as he reached to break the bread, bars were evident. And then, of course, when they knew him, he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road? and while he was explaining to us the scriptures. And then they shared their new faith. They rose at that very hour, and they returned to Jerusalem seven miles away. And running back to Jerusalem, they saw, the other, apostles, they saw other apostles there, and they told them of their experience. And we who have faith in a living Savior, ought to be sharing our experience with him too. He has brought to us the victory, and that makes all the difference in the world when we know and understand that victory. I, I have these words, and I want to read them in closing because I don't want you to think about me. Not my voice. I want you to think about the voice of Christ, the risen Christ. What did he say? He said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Jesus also said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus also said, Abide in me, 
and I in you, without me ye can do nothing. And Jesus also said, If any man will open the door, I will come in. Do you believe that? If you do, then you can say, even so, come. Come right now, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Enable me to be obedient to you, not to play at my faith, but to submit to your Lordship. Remember that even our blessed Lord Jesus Christ learned through obedience and you will never be closer to the Lord than when you can say, Not my will, but thy will be done. This is the invitation. And if you've never accepted him as your Savior, remember that he has all power. Remember that he has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Remember that without him you can do nothing. And remember that he says, if any man will open the door, I will come in. Just bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank thee that Jesus Christ said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And that on this special Easter Sunday, when many of us make an effort very strong to come to church because we know that there must be something special here, we pray that you will speak to hearts, especially to hearts that may feel the guilt and burden of sins that need right now to be cast aside at the foot of the Savior and enable those persons to let go and to let you have your way in their lives and in their hearts. If you've never accepted him, this could be the best and greatest Easter in all your life if right now you would simply say, Jesus, I know I have failed. I know I've not been what you wanted me to be, but I want to be, and I want you to take me and make me what I ought to be. And if you'll make that prayer right now in your heart, you can speak to me after the service, or you can write to me a letter, or you can speak to some Christian friend this afternoon. And you can know the experience of those who went on the road to Emmaus. You can have your heart strangely warmed by the power of the risen living Christ. O oh God, hear our prayer and grant that those who have asked the Lord Jesus to come in, that they may now have that assurance in his name. Amen.